Alright, well, we're recording. Wait. One, two, three. <laughs> what was the clap for? You just felt like clapping? That's actually how you make sure that it's synced up. Oh, okay, wait. Do I get to clap too? Sure. Wait, clap. Hey guys! Welcome back, it's episode five! Five, 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 like five seconds of summer, or five Granny Smith apples, or five feet of pool water, or. or. The five. height of me, I'm five two. You're five feet! <laughs> I don't know. Five slippy slides, five listeners. I mean, we have more than five listeners, which is really, really fucking exciting. But yay, it's episode five. It's also spooky week. Spooky, 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 spooky. It's spooky, spooky month. Spooky. spooky month. It's spooky week because every week is spooky. In well, it's our first spooky week. How about that? Okay. It's our first spooky episode. We have a spooky listener story. Um oh, and what we're actually gonna do with the listener stories because we got so many good ones. We heard from some of our fellow podcasters. We heard from some listeners. We got a lot. So There's some fun ones in there. There is a fun one in there. There's some downright fucked up ones and like burn your house down. Um, there's, <laughs> there's a lot. So what we're going to do is we're going to do one at the end of every episode. We've picked some of our favorites in no particular order. So we have four that we're going to do one at the end of every episode um every week in october and then we're gonna do a bonus episode on halloween did i get that right yes <laughs> spoopy stories yeah so we're gonna do a bonus episode on halloween and then we're going to uh re- like go through and read you guys all of the extra stories that we got that um didn't make it into like the top four they're still they're all honestly really good i don't want anyone that sent one in to think that they're not good um that was where we kind of struggled because there's so many good ones and we want to share them all with you so we're just gonna share them all in a different way i'm just excited to open up the email and just be like oh stories i know i know so um since it did do so well with everyone sending in stories um if if it works out again next month if we get enough stories we'll do it again in november so the end of every month you'll have the whole month to send your stories in um but the end of every month if um any stories that fit into our 90 minute i try to keep us under 90 minutes i don't know i just know that we go and then you're like 40 minutes of the 90 minutes right, don't no tell me how to live my no life. that's incorrect i'm shorter you're like 60 minutes of the 90 minutes and no, i'm it's 30. not 60 minutes that's that's excessive are you sure have you listened to the podcast while you're editing Yes, I listen to it while I'm editing. I'm only like 20 to 30 minutes usually. Yeah, okay. So we haven't hit the full 90 yet. Like, like we've been at a minute 15 or a minute or a minute 15. I realize other people don't know what that is. So if I want to say something's an hour and a half, sometimes I'll just go a minute 15 or a minute 30. And it means an hour and 30 minutes, but it's fine. It's mm-hmm. fine. Um, But yeah, no, the longest we've been is like an hour and 15 minutes so far, I think. Well, thank you to everybody who actually makes it almost to the end, at least. Yeah. Um, In other news, uh, everybody get ready. There's a chance for you to win free stuff. I mean, who doesn't love free stuff? Yeah, we're going to be doing a giveaway at the end of this month. Yes. 
Um, we're going to announce it on a Instagram live, hopefully. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're going to announce the winner on Instagram Live and then post it in the Facebook group just in case. So be on the lookout for those details. But just to let you know, the general requirements is what? Um, so they have to post. So the, the general requirements for the um, for the giveaway, it's going to be pretty. It's going to be a nice size. So there's going to be half spooky, half fall. Because we know that most of us that would win it either have a best friend or a better half that doesn't like spooky things. AKA, I don't like spookies, but here we are. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's that. But so it's going to be fall themed. We've got some custom wine glasses that are in there. There's a spooky Funko Pop that might be making the cut. I'll be posting some official photos once we have everything all curated up and, and, and done up and it looks all cute and fancy. Um, but basically... Uh, you just have to write a review on either iTunes or Stitcher. It doesn't have to be both, just one or the other. And then you have to be following our Instagram. Um, what we're going to do for bonus entries, we are going to be posting a photo of the, like all the giveaway items with all the rules and everything. So in case you kind of glaze over this and skip to the story, which can't say I blame you. Um, in case you are one of those that, you know, wants to skip over, we are going to post everything again on the Instagram with the pictures of the prizes. Um, you, for extra entries, you can tag a friend in the Instagram posts. So no you, limit. yeah, there's no limit. If you want to tag all 217 of your cousins, that's fine. I will put your name into the drawer pot, the drawer, 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 row, 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 row. The drawing Into the basket we're going to use to draw names. Well, I don't Depending on how out of hand it gets, because I can see this getting out of hand. A basket. Uh, okay, maybe not a basket. Maybe an automatic system like online where we type in each name. But every time my phone gets a notification, your name gets written down. So it's very it's a very good chance that we'll probably end up using a basket. Yeah, let's use a basket. I don't trust those online systems. So every single time I see your name pop up and I'm going to go through and make sure and check and count through. If you, like I said, want to enter it 217 times and tag all 217 of your friends, that is fine with me. Cousins, cousins, friends, sisters, uncles, wives, sister wives. No judgment. I love that TV show. Okay. Sister wives is legit. Okay. Um, but yes, yeah, so if you want to go ahead and tag all of them, that is more than fine. Like I said, I'll enter you every single time and then we'll be doing the drawing on Instagram live so you guys can see us actually pulling the name. Um, as of right now, it's only going to be one large giveaway basket type situation. If we get an influx of like a thousand people that wanted to do the drawing, we might add in a few smaller prizes. prizes. I don't think so. <laughs> We're still the baby podcast in the world of podcasting. <laughs> cough cough Jim's campfire that has over 200 episodes I've listened to them all so I regret nothing but I'm just saying we are but a blip in the podcasting world (laughs) all right just be on the lookout for that post and get ready to enter yourself in for the giveaway yes but on to the good stuff the reason you're here the destiny so who'd you cover or where did you cover okay so in honor of all of our amazing international listeners that we've started to gain, which, by the way, every single international listener know that I cry a little bit every time you show up in our stats this page. This is not a, a lie. Every time. Paul. But, yeah, no. So, in honor of all of our amazing international listeners, I have our first international cover. Okay. But I have our first international. So, I covered the Bogo Road 
dear Australia, please don't hate me. Gaul or go. It's it's how you say prison. <laughs> um, but so another prison. Yes. Also, I'm the sensing way- a trend here. Yes. Also, <laughs> it's not my fault, but I think I've been watching too much Simply No Logical because whenever she calls Ben's names, Ben. So now I keep catching myself. Yes. <laughs> ben. He's the coffee slave. Or no, tea slave. He's her tea slave. So Bogo Road Gal, Brisbane prison. <laughs> also, it's so it's named after the road which led to it. Um, it became a boggy because apparently it became a what is known as a boggy quagmire after rain. So Bogo Road Gal was officially known as the Brisbane prison. And for the rest of the story, I'm going to refer to it as the Brisbane, 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 <laughs> Brisbane prison. Um, because I can't pronounce G A O L. So Brisbane or Brisbane, Brisbane, Brisbane. There we go. Like, how do you pronounce that A? I'm just a lowly American. I don't make the rules. It's been several years since I've been to Australia. I mean, yeah, but I've never been to Australia because that's a long ass flight. I. I mean, eventually, I want to go to Sydney at the very least. Yeah, I went to Darwin. And I they cried. got some big ass spiders over there. Well, I didn't cry because of the spiders. I didn't oh. see those. I cried because it was such a long flight. I mean, I feel that. You were also a kid, though. I was so tired. Fair. Um, but okay. Anyway, so for 109 years, it was actually a major part of the skyline in the capital of Queensland. Um, it had stark red brick walls and a massive guard tower on Annerley Road. I'm going to pre-apologize because... Unless it's English, French, or Mandarin, I'm horrible at pronouncing it. So we're gonna I'm gonna preemptively apologize. Also, I said I was gonna make my story shorter because we still have to put the listener story at the end. And somehow it's still six pages. Alright. Anyway. So <laughs> anyway. Um so it was so it had the imposing guard tower on Annerley Road. Um, and it had actually become iconic, but for all of the wrong reasons. Um, Brisbane Prison opened in 1883 as the Brisbane, it's going to make me say it again, Gao <laughs> Ben. No. Gao. I don't, I don't know. Um, but it was used mainly as a holding prison for those serving short sentences and, or they were on what's called a remand. Um, its initial infamy came from it actually being a place of execution. Um, what? I thought they were only supposed to be held for a short amount of time. Okay, so here's the thing. It was multi-purpose. Okay. That we- sounds like they said it was one thing and they were like, ah, but let's just put this in the back. Okay, so here's the thing. They had to kind of, so it was like a holding place and it was like, like they would take you from the other prison and then kill the fuck out of you type situation. I don't like that. Anyway, so in 1903, a new purpose, um, they built a separate women's prison. Um, and after 20 years, it was the, it was the HM. They're going to keep making me say this word gal for women. And it was closed. It was only open for 20 years. All of the female occupants were shifted to another part of the prison. 
But in the 1920s, the men of the St. Helena Island prison in Morton Bay were moved into what was the former women's prison. And it was renamed to the number two division. And that section actually became home to those serving the longest sentences. So killers, murderers, murder killers, and other violent offenders. Murder killers. Murder killers. Murderers. (laughs) Anyway, so um, the three cell blocks became the homes of... What we call the lifers, which we'll get into that a little bit later. Sounds like they were just in there for life. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this prison. All right. Um, but uh, fast forward a little bit to 1980. The number two division became the focal point of it. What was um, considered a pretty intense national media scrutiny following a very, <laughs> a very dramatic. And I say dramatic because we'll there. They were they were. Yeah, it was it was a lot of. That girl was, a, you know, that, that teenage drama queen. Yeah. yeah this was the OG, the OG <laughs> teenage drama queen. Um, they weren't teenagers, but still I stand by what I said. So they had a series of dramatic escape attempts, hunger strikes, riots, and my personal favorite rooftop protests. Huh? How the prisoners got on the roof. I have no idea. All right. Anyway. <laughs> it's not i don't make the rules they just was this building i mean it was like a fair height it wasn't like anything because i'm just saying if you could get on the rooftop to protest you could probably get on the rooftop to escape yeah priorities priorities just saying priorities i'm just i mean you're not wrong but also priorities so they had the rooftop protests over and it was basically like shit conditions which is every prison ever like take a number um the entire prison complex was actually um, shut down in 1989, and that that was that was like a huge deal. Um, and then in 2002, they shut its doors forever, 119 years after operation. So my eyes crossed. So the number two division was closed in 1989, and then the entire prison complex shut its doors forever in 2002 after 119 years of operation. That's really when- recent. Yeah, it's it's too recent for my own personal comfort. Um, when the last section of Bogo Road, the Brisbane Women's Correctional Center, was finally closed, the number two division when it's finally when it was finally closed in 1989 is actually the only section of Bogo Road that's still standing. Um, and it's been what we call um historic like we we put historical placards. They call it heritage listed. Um, it's been heritage listed, which is the same thing as in, um, for those of you in the States, it's the same thing as when we put a historical placard on it. So you um, can't pull, like, rip it down. You can't, no, it can't be demolished. Um, in December of 2012, too recent again for my own liking, it reopened um, as a tourist attraction for Queensland. Okay. Yeah, no, it didn't, like, reopen as a prison. I saw you give All me All you said was reopen, and I was like, mm-hmm. No, 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 no. It's now, like, a tourist, like, historical tourist attraction. Um, so a little bit more about the history. That's like the short and sweet to the point part. Um, obviously you can't be around for 119 years and not have some serious shit with some notorious inmates, right? I'm talking the Al Capone of Australia. Not really. But anyway, so Bogo Road was home and the place of death for majority of the nation's most infamous inmates, including, um, James Richard Finch and John Andrew Stewart, they were the whiskey all uh, go-go bombers. 
Was he a go-go bombers? Okay, so a go-go is A-U. A-U, go-go bombers. Is that a place? Yes and no. So, hold on. Okay. So, the Whiskey All Go-Go Fire slash bomb was a fire that occurred at 2.08 a.m. on Thursday, March 8th of 1973 in the Whiskey All Go-Go nightclub. So, like, it's kind of a place. It's, yeah, it's a business. Um, It actually killed 15 people. The Whiskey A Go-Go nightclub um, was occupying the first floor of a building that actually still exists, and it's on the corner of Amelia Street and St. Paul's Terrace. Um, the space was previously occupied by another club called the Celebrity Cabaret, which it closed due to financial issues. That there, that's a whole other thing. Um, and then John Hanay was the owner um, who rented the vacant space for the new nightclub. So they did so in March of 1972. They named the new cabaret the Whiskey A Go-Go. John Andrew Stewart was a career criminal, literally. He was in jail in 1966 for attempted murder from a, for a fellow criminal, Robert Steele, after his release from prison in New South Wales in 1972. So literally like six years. He returned to his hometown of Brisbane and immediately started vague rumors of criminals from Sydney wanting to extort nightclubs in Brisbane. He told this to both reporter Brian Bolton and Detective Basil Hicks or Basil Hicks. Um, Basil or Basil, I'm never sure. Um, at the end of 1972, he gave specific intelligence to Brian Bolton, stating that an empty club would be firebombed first and then a second. Whiskey A Go-Go would be firebombed when it was full of people, and Bolton wrote numerous newspaper articles and personally notified the police commissioner of the police minister and the police minister of the threat. Uh, yeah, he literally went around telling everyone he was just going to fuck shit up. And, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. It was it was the 70s. OK, so um, John Stewart's warning was verified when an empty club Torino's was destroyed by arson on February 25th of 1972, um, 1973. I'm sorry. The Whiskey A Go-Go was firebombed in early the early hours of March 8th of 1973 and resulted in the death of 15 of its patrons. Just, I do have questions about why he just decided, oh, I'm gonna tell everyone. I don't make the roof. I really don't. If I did, I would tell you why he decided to tell the whole world that this is what I'm gonna do right now. <laughs> but anyway, so, um... The fire began with two ignition with the ignition of two drums, four and five gallon drums of petrol or petrol. I know some people say petrol in the building's foyer. When it was ignited, it burnt the burning petrol sent carbon monoxide up the club's main floor room to the first floor. So the only escape route that was left was the rear stairs, which were poorly signposted and cluttered with crates and bottles. The club had um, literally been described as a death trap at one point. Um, patrons had difficulty escaping due to the large quantities of grease that covered the escape path and the six foot high fence that blocked the side alley. The persistent rumors that the escape was deliberately greased by the arsonists are untrue, but I could see where they came from. Um, but also like I can, like a lot of businesses, especially back then, if like they had spare grease, they would just pitch it out in the street because you don't want to pour it down the drain. Yeah. I'm just, you know, that club or bar would not have passed an inspection in this time. 
I mean, on no. the sole fact that you have stuff in your back staircase, which is an exit way. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, things happen, and the seventies, man. The seventies, and I mean, it sucks to say, but honestly, it's pretty fortunate that in a popular bar, only fifteen people died. Yeah. And, like, he waited a year, so people probably thought, oh, nothing else is going to happen because it was 1972 that he got out. He started spreading the rumors at the end of 1972. The first bar got arsoned in February of 73. And then, excuse me, like a week or two later, he hit the other bar. So it's it's a lot. That's why I said he was doing the absolute most. Patrons had difficulty escaping due to the large quantities of grease. Oh, sorry. About 50 patrons, bar staff, and entertainers have been in the club at the time of the ignition. Some escaped by jumping from broken windows onto an awning and dropping about 15 feet onto the ground. Others escaped via windows and in the men's and women's changing rooms. The 15 people killed had died of carbon monoxide poisoning. They were dead before the firefighters even arrived. Of the six-person band Trinity, two musicians were killed. Three staff members and 10 patrons were killed in total. Jennifer Denise Davey, a drinks waitress, was employed at the bar, was one of the deceased. You just crack your whole life? Yes. Okay. So, um, literally the Saturday after the fire, the Queensland government was like, "Mm, fuck your shit. And they put out a $50,000 reward for any information (sighs) on the bombing. Yeah. So based on John Stewart's foreknowledge of the fire, he was obviously the number one suspect as the police um, had insufficient evidence to arrest him as he had an alibi, quote unquote alibi. At the time of the fire, the police fabricated evidence that he threatened to kill someone with a knife. He was duly arrested. Wait, wait, wait. They fabricated evidence to arrest him? Listen, I don't make the facts. I just... (laughs) What? I don't... They wanted him so bad they gave out fake evidence. I'm just saying there's a reason OJ got away with murder. (laughs) Oh my God. OJ Simpson literally got away with murder because people thought that the cops hated him enough to fabricate it. But like, no, I'm sorry. Anyone who thinks OJ Simpson did not kill the fuck out of Nicole Simpson, you're listening to the wrong podcast because trust me, it'll come up one day. I'm just trying to save it. (laughs) They fabricated evidence. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. He was duly arrested. Um, James Richard Finch was subse- subsequently, I hate that word, arrested at the suburban Jindalee Shopping Center. If y'all in Australia know what that is, I have no idea. I'm assuming it's just like a shopping area, like a little strip mall. Finch is the second name I mentioned. So James Richard Finch was the other one. So it's James Richard, James Richard Finch, Finch and John Stewart were the two. So Finch was arrested in the shopping center. So in 1966, Finch had been arrested for 14 years, um, had been sentenced to 14 years after being found guilty of a malicious wounding with a firearm, which I'm guessing he just beat the shit out of somebody with a gun, and for carrying an unlicensed pistol. Finch had fired two shots during an altercation near the petrol station and on Oxford Street in Paddington, Sydney. Um, he injured two men and Finch gave Stewart the offending firearm post-shooting and the two career criminals had known each other for at least seven years prior to the incident. So that's how the two got tied in with each other. At the trial, Finch was described by police as an active young criminal and an associate to the most violent criminals in Sydney. 
So immediately after both of their arrests, both loudly protested their innocence at their court appearance. And it was reported that there was a commotion in the dock when the men were brought before the Brisbane magistrates and court after their arrest for arson and the 15 counts of murder. Stewart was restrained by six detectives while Finch was relatively quiet and only needed one. Finch was like, eh, I did it. Fuck it. <laughs> like, he's just like, oh, what really was the point? I think he was just like, I, nothing's, nothing good is going to happen from being a dumbass. Yeah. From acting out. Yeah. They're just going to get more officers on you. Pretty much. Pretty much. So, um, like I said, they were arrested and that was pretty much the end of it. But then they ended up in Bogo Road. Um, my personal favorite um slim halliday which he also has his own little his name is slim halliday halliday i said what i said he was actually known as the houdini of australia and the houdini of bogo road who he escaped twice becoming one of australia's most famous escapologists and we'll touch back on more on him later there's a whole thing not one but two times times two times i'm just saying ted bundy escaped twice and murdered yeah that's that's another story for another day Ernest Austin he was a child killer who has become the last man who actually he was the last man who was executed in the state of Queensland Florence McDonald which was the stepmother of Longreach Cinderella Patrick Kenneth um which is Australia's last bushranger and some of these I'm sorry if I don't delve into them a whole lot some of them I did set aside because they kind of deserve their own stories like they have that much crazy shit okay, going but on explain to me what a bush wrangler is okay <laughs> i just want to know what that is pause <laughs> no so they didn't wrangler bushes so it's not a wrangler it's a wrangler okay what's a wrangler so bush wranglers were originally escaped convicts in the early years of the british settlement of australia and they used the australian bush as refuge to hide from the authorities I'm still just imagining them, like, throwing ropes at bushes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But by the 1820s, it, the term bushranger had actually been used to refer to those who used, um, who did armed robbery as, like, a way of life. So it's someone who just steals the fuck out of shit instead of having a job, basically. Oh. You're living a dangerous life there, friends. That's a lot of fucking work. Just go flip some burgers, damn it yeah like that's a lot of fucking work <laughs> i'm just saying that's horrible but yeah anyway so then um but for every infamous inmate there were thousands of ordinary people whose crimes made newspapers uh there were prostitutes burglars thieves charlatans frauds drunks political protesters wife deserters yes i said wife deserters are one of these things is not like the others and fine evaders what <laughs> people who didn't pay parking tickets Oh, wait, fine evade. I thought, thought you said fine baiters. What if I did? Um, honestly, it just makes me think of elevators that are very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, uh, yeah. <laughs> now that you said fine evaders. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. One of these things is really not like the other, especially if it's just like a parking ticket. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, punishment cells where you could literally hear your own brain taking over executioners who were given extra pay just to give prisoners lashings Inf infamous inmates and crazy escapes 
basically it all went down at Bogle Road. That's it messed was, up. Yeah, it was like crazy shit. Um, and then when, especially when you take a minute to think about the fact that there were like straight up fucking normal people, like okay, yeah, leaving your wife isn't the fucking greatest, but sometimes it's just, it's it's not meant to be. I'm still stuck on the people with their parking tickets. I mean, yeah, because 1970s they had cars then. Pretty sure. Yeah. Damn, we sound like millennials. They had cars. They definitely had cars. My grandmother had a car. In nineteen seventy? Yeah, my mom was born in nineteen sixty six. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I have an excuse. My family was in a different country. Oh yeah, your family was in a whole different country. Oh yeah, it was very in different. In the middle time. of a fucking war zone. Different times. That's crazy. It is crazy. Oh gosh. But anyway, sorry for another day. Yeah, we'll do. We'll have to do like a whole fucking. I'm sure Timor has its own fucking haunting history after you know fucking mass political suicide, Mm -hmm. suicide, um, homicide. It was a mass genocide. It was a genocide. genocide. Who am I kidding? It was a fucking genocide. It's a miracle there are any of you left. Yup. Um, (laughs) but. There was another one, Stephen Gage, who was in Bogo Road for 14 years, and he actually w- witnessed seven prisoner suicides, 15 failed inmate suicides, and three f- um, prison guards. Three of his. Fa- so this is a prison guard. I'm sorry, I didn't specify that. This is a guard. Reasons why we know his story. Um, and the guards at Bogo Road are pretty legit, and we'll get into that later when we talk about some of the things you can do today at Bogo Road. Um, but he was a prison guard for 14 years. He actually saw shit that I can't even imagine. Um, I want you to know before you you clarify that he was a prison guard, all I could think was, I did my waiting 10 years of it in Azkaban. I did my waiting. It's 12, 12 years. I know it is 12. I said 10, but I was just I like, I did ah. my waiting. 12 years of it in Azkaban. Yeah, I'm just saying, when that game came out and they told me I had to wait for fucking energy, that's all I could think of. Yeah, you and everybody else. Disrespectful. But anyway, so um, they had plans. Um, he actually lost, he lost three of his fellow prisoner guards in suicide actually in just one year during his 14 years at Brisbane. So in one year, he lost three to suicide. Guards. Guards. It was just taking a toll on them and they just couldn't do it. I mean, yeah, I don't blame them. Like, that, that's a rough... That's like, a hard job. Yeah, if you just have to constantly see people and then witness them, like, trying to commit suicide, like, that's rough. Yeah. So, I mean, he's still going to be... He's going to be pretty relevant to our story. Um, prior to me getting into the haunts, obviously, I love to include the historical background of these places. Um... He had plans to redevelop Bogo Road into an urban village and demolish the parts of the prison. Uh, Mr. Gage had actually started publishing books with the help of former colleagues in order to keep the history alive and make sure that, you know, people didn't forget what happened at Bogo Road. That's really cool. Um, He did a presentation to the Queensland Police Service Museum. Um, He actually went through and shared his memories and experiences with all of the... um, with some of the patrons and some of the current police service members who were working at the museum at the time, um, with, um, with a little reminder, Bogo Road opened in 1883 and then closed forever in 02, 2002, right? Um, Stephen Gage was actually working there from 1976 to 1990. 
So he was there for a while. He was there for a good chunk of time. And as a millennial who can attest to, I, I was with my first job out of college for like three years before I quit. And I like, I can't imagine being with a place for 14 years. Like, I hope that one day I find that place I can be with for 14 years. Uh, Not at a prison. Not at a prison. (laughs) I. That doesn't seem like the dream job kind of place. It does not. (laughs) But it's like, I mean, props to him for sticking through it. But when he first arrived at Brisbane, his first reaction was, you've got to be joking. In quotes, I'm getting the hell out of here. But he ended up working his way up in the ranks. He spent some time in the main riot squad and he was actually promoted to senior prison officer. During his first year at the prison, Mr. Gage voluntarily spent 90 minutes locked in the punishment cell so he could understand what the prisoners went through. And I respect the fuck out of him for that. Um, It was also for, I'm sorry, for our U.S. listeners, it's the same thing as solitary confinement, the punishment cells. Um in a typical punishment cell there's no running water no ventilation sewerage and no natural light and how long would on average were prisoners in there that i couldn't find i did look into that but i couldn't find it that Um, sucks if you're in there for like a couple days because like yeah the literally the only thing in there was a toilet tub a water container and a fiber mat for sleeping yeah it's and he voluntarily spent 90 minutes in there and like i couldn't even imagine but like if there's a mat for sleeping they were in there to sleep um is that there were two cells under the building in the basement with nothing literally nothing in them he spent 90 minutes in there i spent 90 minutes in there voluntarily one day and that was 90 minutes of my life i'll never get back those 90 minutes felt like days and that's insane And then he goes on to say that there was an odor. It was damp. You could literally hear your own brain ticking over. So that was what I mentioned before where I was like, oh, we'll get into that later. Wait, ticking or taking? Ticking. Oh, okay. That sounds significantly worse. The punishment cells were housed underneath um, the A-wing, which was also known as the hanging wing for exactly why you think it was. Mm. It was on the roof of the A-wing where John Andrew Stewart convicted... um, he, who was the convicted murderer from Whiskey A Go Go, in case you forgot. He, that was the wing where he protested his innocence in November of 1977 because this bitch swore to fuck he was innocent. But I mean, I'm just saying, if your dumbass was going to claim innocence, maybe you shouldn't have ran around town saying you were going to set these fires. Yeah, probably not. Just saying. So, um, <laughs> it's pretty safe to say there was no love lost between Mr. Gage and uh, Mr. Stewart. During his first nine months as a guard at Bogo Road, Stewart threw a tub full of sewage at Stephen. Ah. Sewage. He threw a tub full of sewage. Uh, he said he was going to take the trash out. No, no, no. That was the prisoner who threw the tub full of sewage at the guard. Oh. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. He received a kicking for his efforts. Which I can only imagine just short of that first episode of The Sopranos where they're just literally kicking the shit out of that guy on the ground. Yeah, probably with steel toe boots. Oh, God. Probably. I'm I mean, just saying I'm they're sorry. If you, th- if you throw a tub of, of, like, people shit at me, I can't say I wouldn't kick your ass. I can't say I wouldn't kick your ass. I probably wouldn't steel toe boot it. Like, I'll hand-to-hand comment kick your ass, but I'm gonna kick your ass. Just, just a fact. Fact of life. Take the good. You take the bad. 
I'm just, I'm just saying both. from the way that this prison has been painted out, I wouldn't be surprised if they had steel-toed boots on. I wouldn't either. <laughs> but um, literally, like, Stephen went on to go and describe Stuart at the end. He was like, he was crazy. He used to lean over and say, I'll be ready for another kicking tomorrow. And um, John Stewart actually developed a bit of a habit of swallowing wire crosses, <laughs> which were two screws tied together at the end to form a cross. Um, during his murder trial in 1973, he swallowed a total of 11 wire crosses that year in order to prevent himself to it from having to attend court and face the murder charges. What kind of crazy bullshit? So he did it. Just, just like OJ, he did it. You don't swallow crosses wire crosses to avoid going to court if you think you're actually innocent sure you do your name's john stewart auntie chris it's me it's todd cranes no all right (laughs) anyway i watch too much reality television it's fine um the habit actually led to him actually undergoing several operations to remove the crosses and it left him with all these crazy scars he also failed to escape court and was sentenced to life in prison cool so his party trick his other party trick was to smash a full bottle of beer over the head of anyone who didn't agree with him Uh, once the victim was unconscious stewart would lay into them quote unquote according to mr gage stewart wasn't the only troublesome prisoner mr gage encountered having witnessed several bold escapes during his time and like I wasn't sure I was like did he did he witness people straight up escape or like <laughs> did he like did he chase at what him po- down at what point do you just say fuck it I'm not dealing with this shit today <laughs> not today Satan. probably depends on what your actual crime was like you probably shouldn't say that when it's a murder on the loose I mean probably not but you know such is life so um Stephen Gage also played a key role in recapturing some of the prisons who got out during the largest mass escape in Queensland history. Um, I want you to know. Mass Mass escape, mass escape. A ton of bitches fleed. They fleed. I tell you like roaches. Like you ever shine light on roaches and you know how they scurry. Same shit. Never mind. That's not a problem we had to deal with. Oh yeah. You lived in the 15th floor of an apartment. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Now you live in a house. Wait till winter comes. You're dealing with them. Oh, I hate roaches. I no, I'm not dealing with it. If you cut their heads off, they can still survive. I know. <laughs> I'm not dealing with them. You do it. Okay. Anyway, so um, it was known as the Fun Run of 1989. Who named that? I don't know, but I love it. Um, literally, as the two main gates opened to let a vehicle in, inmates rushed through the gap. Six prisoners managed to escape. Um, to escape. <laughs> And Stephen Gage pursued one of the escapees who had commandeered a nearby taxi. But there was one little issue with the um, the dude who tried to escape with the taxi. You want to guess what the issue was? He'd forgotten how to drive in all his time in prison. Oh my God. <laughs> he was actually soon um, cornered in a cul-de-sac and returned to his cell politely by mr gage the escape was called the fun run because as prisoners ran down the road away from the main gates they could be heard laughing at their success (laughs) the name still does not make sense to me i appreciate it 
Okay, but did any of them actually stay escaped, or did they catch them all? Um, I don't believe so. I think they most. I think they were all recaptured, or most, or some of them. I don't know. Um, it never actually specified, and I didn't look into it. And now I wish I had. Just want to know. Because, like, how many other of them tried to get into a car and also forgot how to drive? But I'm just saying, imagine being in prison for so long that you've forgotten how to drive. Like, that's kind of sad when you think about it. I'm more just, was it, like, a manual car? Because, like, if it was a manual car, that makes a little bit more sense. I mean, I'm assuming it was manual. It's 1989 in Australia. And most all right, it makes a little more non-American cars standard is manual. Yeah. Um. So meanwhile, actually, the most daring escape that um Mr. Gage had witnessed was the hijacking of a garbage truck in 1991. (laughs) Why a garbage truck? All right, listen, you do what you gotta do. Um, it was then used as a battering ram by the prisoners to smash their way out. Okay. The, the breakout group consisted of four inmates, which was led by our very own Harold McSweeney, um, who was later shot dead in an attempt to escape custody near the Brisbane Courts Complex. Eh. Sorry, I had give a Harold. Give me freedom or give me death is what he said. That's That's basically what he said. And he got death. Yeah. Yeah. Having spent more than a decade at Bogo Road, Mr. Gage was also able to end the years of speculation around the historic prison myth. It was thought that Johnny Cash may have played a secret sh- played a secret show at the prison prison, and there have been claims by a former by former prison staff that these claims were in fact true. However, Mr. Gage said that it was just a myth. He admitted that there have been that there may have been a performance by an imitator, but not the real thing. So He's pretty legit. He'll come up again later. But obviously, the most important things of all, the ghost of Bogo Road. This is the last time I'm saying it. Gal. Gal. I want to say goal because my brain keeps trying to flip the O and the A. But it's gal. I don't make pronunciation rules. I didn't design a language. Or its accents. Dialects. Accents? Words. So... The ghost of Bogo Road. Of the 42 inmates who faced the gallows at Queensland's Bogo Road, Ernest Austin would be among the hardest to forget. Mostly because Austin was the last man to be executed in Queensland. The state actually abolished the death penalty. Um, I'm sorry, Queensland was the first state to abolish the death penalty in Australia. But mostly it's due to the ghost stories around Austin, not the fact that he was the last to be executed. Um, for decades, claims were made of a uh, full-bodied apparition that passed through walls into cells, and it was strangling prisoners at night. Sir! <laughs> he was like, I'm not going to be the last bitch to die Sir! here. Sir! Strangle, 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 Oh my strangle. god. Anyway, um, it's actually said that Austin had made the, a pact with the devil and by claiming souls of inmates to avoid an eternity in hell. Anyway, whether he haunted the inmates of Bogo Road, whether or not he actually haunted the inmates of Bogo Road is doubtful, but he did haunt the people of Sanford, which is just west of Brisbane. He left a father who would never recover from his loss and a once peaceful community would become known as would become known for the bloody crime against a little girl. This is the true ghost story. He killed a girl? He killed a little girl. What? But that sir. Is all. Yeah. But 
more ghostesses. Um, the two giggling girls um, are known to skip down the hallways, um, to skip down the road, I'm sorry, that leads up to the prison and they'll leave tiny little footprints in the death, in the dirt. Um, they Why were farmer little girls? Because they died as little girls. What do you want from me? Why were they there? I'm getting there. Let me finish. Okay. They were farmer's daughters. One a head taller than the other, 11-year-old Ivy Mitchell had climbed into her parents' sulky that morning. They'd taken her the two miles to the Frisch property where she'd spent the day playing with the neighbor's children. It was June 8th of 1913, long before technology had moved into children, moved children to play indoors. The children had spent their time in the garden, Ivy, and who was 11, and uh, Mary Frisch, who was 7, um, picking posies, ring around the rose. Yeah, posies. Um, picking posies from and from wildflowers growing into the paddocks of the Sanford property. Um, at 4:30 p.m., Mary walked Ivy down the driveway, and their little feet left tracks on the road as they made their way towards the Mitchell homestead. Two sets of prints for two girls side by side. After half a mile, one set of feet returned, turned around, and headed back the other way. They come. Ivy walked on alone, clutching a posy she'd wrapped in a brown paper to take home to her mother. Soon, the single set of footprints became two once more. This new set was bigger, much bigger. It was a man's boots. Why do you let your children walk alone? Because it's 1913. Still. She was 11. I was walking home from school by myself at 11. Okay, but how far far of a distance was she going? from her friend's house which was half a mile down the road i don't like this but yeah so it's said that the man killed her and it's 1913 so we what about the second girl yeah they didn't tell me anything about her (laughs) where did she come from i don't know maybe it was another girl who i don't know maybe the guy killed both of them like maybe he killed the younger girl who turned around halfway through killed her and then caught up with the older one and killed her too that's probably what happened don't like it um but obviously onto the more current um but onto the more current experiences that have happened um during a night tour recently a visitor felt something brush past her leg she looked down and saw a black and white three-legged cat um, upon inquiring to the guard about the experience, she recognized a description belonging to Tripod, which was a cat that had made itself at home to the, in the prison in the 1970s. So that cat's very much dead because this was a recent tour because tours started in 2012. Yay. Um, Ernest Austin, who I mentioned earlier, um, is said to haunt Division 2. Um, getting back to him... Um, so do you remember the little girl that I said how a man killed her? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was Ernest Austin. So they did catch him. Yeah. Did they actually catch him for the murder or for something else? Yep, the rape and the murder of 11-year-old Ivy Mitchell. And it is now said that he mocked, so he mocked the witnesses at his execution, stating he'd return from the grave. Prisoners stated that prisoners have stated that since then they have seen Austin's face at their cell door. And then he enters to torment them. Um, There are also disembodied voices, footsteps, 
and both full-bodied and partial apparitions that you can see when you people have experienced when taking the tour um there is the spirit of officer bernard ralph who was the only officer ever killed at Boga road and he actually had his head smashed in by a prisoner wielding a heavy metal bar and so people will literally just see someone with like half a face almost no. like a crescent like sorry but no yeah so almost like a crescent moon and they hear like a like a groaning Mm-mm. with it um take it back when, but but no but no i don't want to see a guy with his head smashed in i mean i understand no Okay, but yeah, so he was the only prisoner ever killed on, on guard. site. Huh? Only guard? Only guard, sorry. Okay, so yeah, being the only guard that was murdered at the prison, aside from their suicides, he's the only one that's reported to be haunted. I'm sure there's others that probably just don't have as deep as a connection as he does, but like, if you get your whole face smashed in, no, that's deep. That's also a lot of strength. Yeah, it's intense, but... Um, that's kind of the end of that. Like they, there's obviously, we're still pretty new into people being able to frequently be there. Mm -hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean we're any, yeah, that doesn't mean we're any short on experiences. Like I said, people will be on, you can do like full on ghost tours there. Um, and you can do normal tours once again. Um, they have a history tour, which is a 90 minute tour that includes time to explore one of the original cell blocks that's still standing. Um, for those of you that are either some of our Australian listeners or you're straight up just feeling like going to Australia, um, they run from run at 11 a.m. Uh, seven days a week. And it's one of those like suitable for all ages type situations. And that's important because I will mention later on, some of the tours are not suitable, suitable for all ages. And that's with point. What makes um, it not suitable? I'm going to get there. I'm sorry. I was just like, because I'm sitting here, I'm like, ghosts are not suitable for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, ghosts aren't suitable for anyone, but still. Um, there's also the, they're going to make me say that word again. I'm going to say Brisbane Prison. We're going to shorten it to Brisbane Prison or Bogo Road. There's the Bogo Road Gallows Expo- Exhibition, <laughs> which is a 30 minute exhibition, which includes time to also explore one of the original sale blocks. Um, it's at 12:45 Saturday and Sundays, and then this one, however, is recommended ages 10 and over, and parental supervision is required. What could you possibly do that you need parental supervision? I mean, other than I the mean, fact that you're 10. Under 10, I feel like you don't want your seven or eight year old hearing about like off with her head. Like it's a gallows tour. They're kind of so, learned about it eventually, but yeah. I mean, eventually, but probably not sooner than 10. Um, so then there's the prisoner tour, which is a 90 minute tour that's actually guided by a former prisoner. Sir, why did you return? Why the fuck not? They are run at 11 a.m. on the third Sunday of each month. Um, Then they do put a strong note on this one that some of the stories that you hear from the former prisoners that choose to run these tours um, involve very strong concepts of mature content. And so they recommend age 15 and older for this one, which is fair. I'm still just stuck on the fact that he came back. He? Or she. 
they that they came back um so then they also have the escape the escapes tour which is a 90 minute tour of bogo road and it examines in detail some of the dramatic escapes from the number two division um they visit the actual places where desperate men implemented their plans and went over the wall so those are 11 a.m on the second sunday of each month sorry they're very specific um and this one's suitable for all ages you said escape store and i just i was hoping deep inside that it was an escape room in the prison that would be so cool that i would do that like in a heartbeat fair um and then my personal favorite well my second personal favorite there is the officer's tour which is a 90 minute tour guided by a former officer and our friend steven runs one of those i don't know if he still does oh i would go i don't know if he still does but i know back when it first started he did i want a tour by steven i know so it's a 90 minute tour um done by a former officer and that one's 11 a.m every fourth sunday of each month and this is another one where they say 15 and over because he's telling stories of like his actual experiences so like it makes sense and then finally they do a ghost and gallows tour which is a 90 minute tour that is literally just the creepies that's it and that's Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays at 7.30. I want it to be on a Tuesday, just so I can say get ghouly on a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I think I threw that out on a whim. I didn't think you'd get hung up on I love ghouly on a Tuesday. All right. Well, the other thing that I also love is that they do full-on fucking reenactments. Like, are people dying? I don't know. I don't think so, though. But they do reenactments. Um, one of them is Bring Bogo to Life. Um, the prison players and the historic number two division um, is pretty much set up as it was when it closed in 1989. Although the silent, empty cell blocks of Bogo Road are haunting, the site today does not convey the reality of prison. So in 2001, the prison players started recreating life inside the red brick walls to thrill and chill audiences um i think that would make me sad more than anything i okay i didn't um so visitors for the bogo road are most in the past they pass through authentic and daily reenactments from secessional breakouts riots and protests to the mundane daily procedures of chores duties and the and the duties of the inmates and officers literally every day is different in the minds of the prison players visitors are either inmates like themselves or officials and they interact with them only in the way they would in an active fully functioning prison that's really cool right still would make me sad but really cool the prison players remain trapped just like the spirits in the time period of which they live how fucking legit is that but they do run it in two different eras um of the prison so they do run the female division and then they run it like the male division. Um, in 2013, they did a special for their 110th anniversary. But um, and then that the reenactment, it takes place the first Sunday of every month. So um, I personally think that's the coolest part is the fact that you can go and kind of experience life what it would have been like back then like i love that they've dedicated so much you could go there literally several times and get a different experience every time yep and you never know 
So I personally love that. I love how dedicated they are to the history of this building. Like they're like, hey, like, yeah, some dark and dank shit happened here. But also at the same time, like we understand that we have a history that it's important for us to preserve. So you can experience the spooky stuff, but you can also go ahead and, you know, experience just mundane day to day life. But that is the one last time to make me suffer and be a horrible pronunciation person in case our Australian listeners didn't hate me already. The Bogo Road gal. And if she is pronouncing that incorrectly, please let us know on Twitter. Yeah, please tell us. <laughs> we do no. not know what we're doing here. I was going to say on Twitter, Instagram. Please tell us how to pronounce it correctly. The beast is on the move. But I guess that means it's my turn. Yes. So for my story, we're going to be talking about the Dock Street Theater in Charleston, North Carolina. And yeah, feel free to take a guess on to what my next state is going to be. I honestly have no idea where you're going at this point. So such is life. You know, eventually I'll just map it out for you. But that's not going to be for a while. Well, let's get into it. So the Dock Street Theater was built originally in 1736. So it's pretty old. And it's actually the last surviving antebellum theater in the States. Pause. What's an antebellum theater? Um, I, it, It's a time period. Oh, okay. Because I just think Lady Antebellum. When it was built, it was the first theater in America that was built exclusively for theatrical performances. And it was also Charleston's first or one of the first theaters. Um, a little after in 1740, it was actually burnt to the ground in the Charleston Fire. And then it was rebuilt and demolished again in 1780. So it, it's been ripped down several times. After it was demolished in the 80s or 1780s, um, it became the Planters Hotel, which was a luxury ho- hotel built in 1809. And that hotel ended up going under renovation in 1835. So when you go into the building nowadays, a lot of the st- stylistic elements that they had put in when they were designing it are actually still there. Um, so it's actually really, really cool. And I do have a photo of what it look- looks like. So give me one second. So as I was saying, um, a lot of the elements from the theater or like the hotel are still there right now. Um, so you, this is what it used to look like, right? Oh, that's old as shit. Yep. That's like that sepia filter on Instagram. But it still oh, looks the same. Oh, it's so pretty. That looks haunted as fuck. I know. <laughs> it looks very haunted. So the Planters Hotel that, that the original theater had been replaced with um actually became the victim to a series of very unfortunate events and it started with the civil war which was then followed by the charleston earthquake in 1886 then there was a lack of money and an increase of needs of upkeep so eventually it kind of fell into disrepair and then the wpa or the works progress administration um started a restoration project for it in the 1930s to create work for the unemployed people of Charleston. And then they restored the place as a theater, not a hotel. So that's really all you need to know about its history. Oh, damn. That was really short and sweet. Yeah. And then if you do want to go to this place, by the way, it is actually located at 135 
Church Street. Okay. <laughs> it's called the Dark Street Theater, but it's not there. Um, and the you can actually see performances at Dark Street Theater. It is still very much a functioning place. I'm still, I'm still irritated that it's on Church Street. I don't like the rules, okay? I'm just saying. I'm letting you know that I'm still irritated about it. Yeah, well, that it is what it is. Um, but a lot of the per- the performances you can see at Dock Street Theater are produced by the Charleston Stage Company, which is actually one of the largest theater companies in South Carolina. North Carolina? South Carolina? I don't know. Alright, so other than um, theater performances, uh, when you go to Dock Street Theater, you can also see musicals, including like Broadway shows. Um, the kind of annoying part is that... Um, or not annoying, sorry. Make sure you cut that up. <laughs> if you're not going there for a theater performance, um, whenever there isn't a performance scheduled, you can go for op- for tours, essentially in the place, and it is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 4:30 p.m. So we're at work day, except for holidays and performances. So go ahead and go check that out. That's cool. Yeah, but a bit about the haunts now. So there's two like big haunt names when it comes to that place the first one is nettie dickerson i'm sorry nettie dickerson that that that's her name okay and her i don't know essentially her what she did for a job was she was a prostitute okay prostitute in the 1800s and she um frequently went to the planters hotel um because that's where she would meet a lot of her clients clients of the sexual variety yes i said she was a prostitute i just had to clarify do you know other clients no, um, no you're right exactly uh so when the planter hotel was still active um there was a lot of pr- prostitution at the time anyways and especially in that particular hotel um because it kind of brought a lot of the wealthy merchants and the shipbuilders and planters from both in town and from upstate um, down there. And it's so that Nettie had originally come to Charleston with the intent of finding love and excitement. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a different path she ended up taking. And that's mainly because she was already 25 um, when she came there. And at that time, it, she was too old for marriage, essentially. I mean... Sometimes it'd be like that. It's a very different time. She was also of the a lower class and social status than a lot of people, so that heavily factored in as well. But apparently, she was very beautiful. Um, so that's why she became a prostitute, because it became pr- pretty lucrative for her. Um, what's really funny though is that she started out as a clerk at Saint Philip's Episcopal Church. So she started out working at a church and then became a prostitute. I mean, sometimes it'd be like that. It Does it? Apparently, though, um, she wasn't very well liked by a lot of the women in the city. And this is because a lot of their husbands were clients of hers. And she was also... She wasn't opposed at all to getting in their face and confronting them. Which, of course, ended up costing her customers because... You know, nobody wants their, the person they're married to to know that they're cheating on them. I mean, no. Probably not. Not in that day and age, really. I mean, even not now, but no. 
so apparently um at the point when she was at, like essentially she was losing to big clients she wasn't making any money um she at one point she was very angry and distraught and very dramatically in this I do mean dramatically apparently she went out onto the second floor balcony of the planters hotel in the middle of a storm just because why not yeah and it's it's said that she either a fell from the balcony or b this one's far more interesting or fun uh she was struck by lightning because the railings were metal I mean that's believable so I would like to think that she got struck by lightning because that's kind of fit into the dramatic theme I support this fan theory and I actually have a picture of the balcony in which she died it's very pretty looking let me see give me a second this is essentially the front of it that's the front of Dock Street Theater ooh that's really pretty yeah I really like it but you can see how it, there's a lot of metal on those railings and this is South Carolina Uh, North Carolina North Carolina so apparently during that that stormy night, one dark and stormy night, um, the priest who she had gotten along with while she was working at the church had come and tried to reason with her from, from the street. So very much a Juliet and Romeo kind of thing where he was just yelling up at her. <laughs> but it wasn't romantic at all. He was just yelling. Okay. I was about to say, all I heard was Romeo and Juliet and I instantly assumed that this was a... Nope romantical type situation nope this was just a priest yelling up at a prostitute on a balcony in the middle of a storm i support it but um while he's trying to reason to her she apparently her last words was you can't save me and then she died that's aggressive but okay i told you it was dramatic so it's said that now she can be seen on the second floor of the theater and she'll be wearing a red dress that was the mark of her profession while she was working as a prostitute. And uh, unlike her appearance when she was a prostitute, she's apparently very unattractive and wild-eyed and sad. Okay. So she kind of drew the short end of the stick for this. The second um, really famous ghost that's said to haunt the place is Junius Brutus Booth. Say that name again in English. Junius Brutus Booth. And he was an actor who performed at the Planters Hotel with a theater troupe at one point. Fun fact, he is apparently the father of John Wilkes Booth. And if that sounds familiar... Shut the fuck up. No, he's not. If it sounds familiar, that's because Booth Jr. was the assassin responsible for President Abraham Lincoln's death. That's aggressive. I also had to double check this, but that's what I've got learned. He actually was. So it's claimed that he can be seen watching performances from a seat in one of the, or from one of the seats in a balcony. Um, And a popular story that deals with this elder Booth is that um, one night after performance, Booth had become enraged and almost killed the hotel's manager. There was a trend of anger, apparently. That's aggressive. Mm-hmm. There's no really known reason as to why he became angry or tried to hurt the guy, just that it apparently happened. Um, 
But what's really weird about this one haunt is that Booth wasn't in Charleston when he died. He was actually in Louisville, Kentucky. So nobody's actually really sure why he's haunting the place because he doesn't have strong ties to the building. So either there's a weird reason why he's there or that's not actually him. Or he felt like it, but it is very rare that ghosts will just like roam around. Yeah. It's also kind of fire. Um, as for like others of reports of hauntings, it's reported that you can see ghosts wandering the stage that apparently according to their clothing, that stage didn't actually exist at their time. That's even, what if they like were half body apparitions and like half their body was there because they were just walking <laughs> the ground. You just see him like a chest just going across the floor. There's also claims that spirits can be seen wandering on or in the rafters. As well as you can see ghost or spirits gazing through the windows. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I just think it's really funny that Nettie Dickerson was so traumatic on her death. That's my favorite story from this. She felt like it, literally. You know, maybe she didn't confront everybody's wife and husband she'd be okay she wouldn't be haunting a place probably not but that's the story of dock street theater that is not located on dock street i really hate that it's not located on dock street like that really deeply bothers me apparently it originally the original um theater was on dock street and then this one's just on church street Hmm. i mean i mean i get it but like still it's stupid I mean, at least they didn't just, like, pick up the the building and move it. So that's a real thing that has happened. Yep, that's the story. So guess what? It's listener story time! Um, so our first listener story is from Cole Parker. Um, this... Mm, mm, I have no words. I'm just gonna read it. All right. I haven't I, know, I haven't read any of this. I don't know the story. Oh yeah. So. I just kind of well, I picked this one cuz the he put a picture in and the picture's creepy, which by the way, I'll put the picture in the Facebook group. God damn it, Cole. Instagram page. So, here we go. I grew up in LA like a bunch of people who probably listen to your show, yet it amazes me how many people never heard of the old Trapper's Lodge at Pierce College. In short, this small place where very eerie Western statues just sort of hang out, which I didn't know statues hung out at all. Just chilling Mm -hmm. like a villain. Yep. (laughs) What makes them eerie is that they're quite old now. Oh, also the fact that real human teeth are inside the statues. Or why? How do you get the teeth in the what? (laughs) Are like the the statue's teeth like actual teeth or is it just in the statue's teeth? No, the statue's teeth are human teeth. Who decided to do that? Cole, go find out who decided to do that and tell them that they were wrong. It was a okay, bad decision. So the guy who made them died in 1981, and they've been at Pierce College for a while. They weren't built slash made at Pierce. They were built somewhere in Burbank. I believe that later, um, I believe, and then later donated to Pierce College, probably due to how creepy they are. <laughs> why did they accept the donation? Because why not? Um, you have better things that you can accept donations of. I support it. Anyway, these statues are decrepit now and feature very dark themes of life like violence, rape, and misogyny. The statues represent 
they don't show anything r-rated so don't worry but they represent the evil of humanity it's very bizarre now get to what happened to me there when i was a little kid I was there again with my father and two brothers. I must have been four or five years old at the time. One of the statues was lying there in a grave, quote unquote, with an evil smile on his face and giving a thumbs up. I'm sorry. Somebody like made a statue that gives a thumbs up. Yes. There's so many questions. It's fine. Um, (laughs) My brother and my brothers and dad laughed it off, but also got mad at me. I sat on because, oh, sorry, I skipped a sentence. Being the dumb kid I was, I sat on the statue's thumb and broke it. Cool. My brothers and dad laughed it off, but also got mad at me. Anyway, then I sat on the statue's face. I was tired again. Oh my God, Cole. a moronic little kid however after a minute of all the sudden i started yelling it bit me it bit me <laughs> and i started crying i started <laughs> my dad and brothers immediately freak out because of how creepy this place was i really just need to know what your parent or yeah your family was thinking going there like who just goes there for fun like was somebody a, a student at the college like what i would have gone there for funsies not everybody's like you I mean, I'm just saying Cole apparently is. Um, he was five. And yes, there really was a bite mark on my ass. No! That's also hilarious because it's on your butt. But no! But considering that real human teeth are in these statues, it's a very odd story. Did maybe this statue bite me in rage for breaking off his thumb and disrespecting him? Probably. I still don't know. The place still stands at Pierce College, and I advise anyone to go check it out. It's super eerie and interesting, and it's also free. You can just walk in. Practically nobody is ever there. We nicknamed it Cowboy Tooth Park (laughs) because of what happened to me. I haven't been back in probably 13 years, and I'm interested in going back soon. I hope you enjoyed the story. Do yourself a favor and do not break any statues that look evil or let them bite you in the ass. This picture below is of the statue in question. That's so creepy. Ah, no. No? You don't like the creepy statue? It kind of looks like it was made by a three-year-old. Like, the design... It was designed by a three-year-old, made by a person, and then painted. But that... Don't like it. No, that looks like it belongs in a video game. But yeah, it's super creepy. I like it. I'll post the picture in the Facebook group and on the Instagram page. Keep an eye out for the post about the fall slash Halloween spooky time giveaway. We're going to have some really cool stuff in there. Um, Unfortunately, we can't put booze in there. Otherwise, I would wholly support drinking wine while listening to this. Yeah, we can't ship it in the state. Uh, Yeah, Pennsylvania's weird. Um, Even though my parents definitely just shipped us beer. You know, I don't know how they got away with that. But anyway, um, <laughs> please disregard federal agent who probably listens to everything I do because I'm probably on nine million watch lists from Googling creepy shit. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Cole, for sending in that super creepy story. I don't appreciate the photo. That was really creepy. Um, But thank you so much. Uh, We're looking forward to seeing um, some more submissions from stories coming in. I do have one selected for next week. So be ready for that. And if you could all go and follow us on Instagram and on Twitter. And join the Facebook group. You can find us at um, Haunted Tourism Podcast as a handle for pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't like the spoopies or you have people 
who would like to see something a little more family friendly, Postcard Bound is our blog, and that that also has a Twitter and a Instagram of page of its own. So go check those out as well. But otherwise, just be on the lookout for more information and get ready to listen to another episode next week. It's gonna be spoopy-ish. I don't know. Spoopy. Very spoopy. I look for some pretty cool haunted places, so I don't know about you. All the spoopies. But anyway, thanks for listening, you guys, and stay spooky. Listen if you dare. Bye. Bye.